My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It is Thursday the 7th of December. I'm Sam. I'm Zara. It's the last sitting week for Parliament, but there is a lot happening in Canberra. Four people who were recently released from indefinite detention after a High Court ruling have since been arrested. The government has spent much of the week trying to rush through legislation in Parliament to re-detain some of those who were released. We'll explain why those people were released, what the government has done and what happens next, all in today's day dive. But first, Zara, what's making headlines? New economic data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics has shown that transport, accommodation and recreation industries all benefited from the Women's Soccer World Cup. That's despite slower than expected overall economic growth of 0.2% between July and September. The ABS called economic growth for the quarter modest. The report found wages increased by 1.3%, but the cost of petrol, rent and electricity also increased. It's going to be hot this weekend, Zara. The Bureau of Meteorology has issued a heatwave warning across large parts of the country from now until Monday. It comes amid forecast high temperatures today and tomorrow for much of mainland Australia. The Bureau said a weather system developing over the Solomon Sea could potentially bring a tropical cyclone towards the Queensland coast next week. Washington Post journalists in the US have planned 24 hours of strike action for today as part of a dispute over job cuts, staff pay and remote work policies. A public letter from the Post Guild, the union that represents Washington Post journalists, has asked readers to not engage with any Washington Post content. Last year, the Washington Post laid off around 40 workers and are trying to reduce the number of staff by 10%. And today's good news, scientists have created a snail-inspired robot designed to collect microplastics from the ocean. The flexible structure of the robot, based on the Hawaiian apple snail, is designed to suck up particles. Researchers at Cornell University in the US said they were inspired by how the snail collects food particles in the water and air. There is further development needed before the robot will be ocean-ready. Four people have been charged with offences after recently being released from immigration detention. It comes as the federal government is trying to rush legislation through before the last sitting week of the year ends so that some recently freed detainees can now be re-detained. It's a very complicated story, um, but it is without a doubt the biggest political story this week. So, Sam... Before we get into the most recent updates and these arrests and whatever else, could you just give us a bit of an overview as to how this story started? Well, this is kind of an episode two of this story, and Mm. I'll put episode one effectively in today's show notes. It's worth a listen if you really want to go back and understand some of the wider context around it, but I'll give a quick overview now. So in November, the High Court ruled that indefinite detention in Australia was unlawful. And it made this decision in relation to a case about a Rohingya refugee born in Myanmar known as NZYQ. Now, NZYQ arrived in Australia by boat in 2012, so 11 years ago. And in 2015, he was charged and subsequently found guilty on one count of child sex abuse in Australia. He was then released on parole in 2018. 
So when that prison sentence was over, he was in this kind of state of limbo. He couldn't be settled here in Australia, but he then also couldn't be returned to Myanmar because there was a fear of persecution. So what happened was he ended up being held in immigration detention in Australia indefinitely. And it's at that point that lawyers took his case to the High Court. And they made a number of arguments to the court, but the one that was ultimately successful was their argument that indefinite detention was unconstitutional. Basically, the court decided the Constitution gives courts power to decide punishments, not the government. Okay, so that decision was monumental. Talk me through the implications of that decision. Well, for NZYQ, it meant his immediate release. But he wasn't the only one. There were more than 140 detainees in similar circumstances that were all released. Now, some of these detainees had a criminal history, had already served their sentences, and all, like NZYQ, were being held in this state of indefinite detention with no real prospect of being released any time in the near future, perhaps even at all. And so this very big decision was handed down. Ultimately, the government had to respond fairly quickly to it. What did they do? Well, they kind of had to make this decision in real time. And what they did was they quickly passed laws that added strict conditions to those released. And this included things like ankle monitors or curfews. But people who were freed because of that decision have been charged with re-offences. Yeah, that's right. So four people who were freed have since been charged with new offences in South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria. Let's go to South Australia first. That's where a 65-year-old man was charged with two counts of indecent assault after police received reports that a woman had been indecently assaulted by a guest staying at a hotel. Then in New South Wales, police arrested a 45-year-old man in Western Sydney over possession of an illicit drug, and that's suspected to be cannabis. And in Victoria, a 33-year-old man was charged with failing to regularly report to police, which he's required to do as a registered sex offender. Also in Victoria, a 45-year-old man has been charged with breaking his curfew requirements, and police allege he also stole luggage from Melbourne Airport. I will just jump in here, though, and say, not passing comment on any of these cases that are obviously live with police, but uh, when we are talking about re-offending, because these people had all offended in the past, I would just point to a Productivity Commission stat that says that 46% of Australians released from jail in 2017 to 18 were back in prison within two years Mm. based on them re-offending during that time. So just an interesting thing to put out in that context. But clearly the government has a problem on their hands. And that brings us to recent days where the government's been really pushing forward this legislation. Yeah, so they've been building out this set of laws and the laws are designed to re-detain some of those who are released and are deemed to pose what the government describes as an unacceptable risk to community safety. Now, these new laws are only going to affect people released after last month's NZYQ decision and they have to have been convicted of a serious violent or sexual offence that carried at least seven years prison as a maximum sentence. Now, what these laws mean is that the detainees could be held for an extra three years after their sentence if the court is indeed satisfied that the person poses an unacceptable risk of seriously harming the community by committing a serious violent or sexual offence. 
There are no limits to how many times a three-year order can be imposed on a detainee and the order will have to be reviewed every year. I think this is a really interesting story because it goes to the interaction of the courts and the government and, and kind of what happens in between. So talk to me about the political fallout from all of this. Well, the opposition led by Peter Dutton has been hard on the government this week. They've said that the government needed to be a lot more prepared for the High Court's decision. And several coalition parliamentarians have said the government actually should have had legislation ready knowing that this High Court decision could have been passed down and ready to pass the laws straight away. Shadow Immigration Minister Dan Tian has also called for the Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill and Immigration Minister Andrew Giles to step down because of it. But they've rejected those calls. They've rejected those calls. The government's reply to the opposition is basically that you can't blame the government for a decision made by the High Court. And that goes to the heart of Australia's constitution, right? The separation of the government and the court system. The Attorney General Mark Dreyfus said... You are asking a cabinet minister to apologise for upholding the law of Australia, for acting in accordance with the law of Australia, for following the instructions of the High Court of Australia... I will not be apologising for upholding the law. That was quite a heated exchange he had with a Sky News journalist. So what happens next from here? It's not going to go away. No, and we don't know exactly how many of the 148 detainees will be impacted by these new laws. But Immigration Minister Andrew Giles has told reporters the government's already started drafting court applications to re-detain some people who he said have committed serious offences. Well, we'll be sure to keep you updated on exactly what happens with this story as it unfolds. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Daily Oz. If you learned something or have any questions about this episode, we'd love to hear from you in the Spotify Q&A box. It's a great way for us to understand what you're liking, what you're not liking, and how to make the show the best we can. We'll be back with you tomorrow, but until then, have a great day. 